This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Taking the plunge into unfamiliar territory, such as investing, can not only be a difficult fray to enter, but scary at the same time. When should you buy? Should you sell? What is the right stock for you to buy? The world of finance and largely participating in investment has long been the domain of the few and privileged. Now, thanks to the companies like Robinhood, becoming a part of the finance world is as easy as downloading an app from your favorite app store. The challenges of communicating with this new class of investors excites Rashad Drakeford, head of content marketing at Robinhood. And Rashad told me all about how he knows that asking the right questions of his audience will help him to guide them through the process of investing and to their goals. How do we inspire people to think, feel, and act? How do we make them feel confident about their financial future? How do we tell stories of people that they see themselves in? There's a new class that's being born out of this moment. How do we invite them in? How do we have our arms wide open to let them know that they're not alone? And to me, the best marketers, they're able to position their brand as a friend. The future-focused mindset paired with an incredible background in politics and entertainment gives Rashad a unique perspective as a marketer. Whether it's been through his time working on the 2008 Obama presidential campaign or from his experience at Apple and working on Beats by Dre, Rashad's experience has touched multiple industries as he shares his wealth of experience with me. In this episode, Rashad and I dive into the way he thinks about his influencer marketing strategy. He speaks about some of the incredible leaders he has been influenced by, and you'll hear about what makes the most compelling content marketing campaigns. Get ready to enjoy all that Rashad has to share on this episode of Marketing Trends. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marketing Trends. Thanks so much for stopping by again. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron. I'm the Vice President of Content Marketing at mission.org. And today I have a really incredible guest in Rashad Drakeford, Head of Content Marketing at Robinhood. Rashad, welcome to the show. Oh man, Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to have you, man. The word on the street is that you haven't done a podcast in, in quite a few years. Is that right? It's been a very long time. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I worked at Apple for, for a while and, uh, you know, the rules there are very strict on doing press, which I which I completely understand. So, yeah, but it's been a while, man. Well, I, look, I, this is exciting because uh, when, you know, when I when I see a guy like you, you have a really interesting background, man. You spent time. Well, first of all, working for the U.S. Department of Energy. So you have this kind of politic background that's influenced your experience. Then you got into Madison Square Garden Entertainment and did, you know, sports partnerships and entertainment partnerships. 
spent some time at Revolt Media, spent almost four years at Revolt Media actually and doing a lot of content there and integrated marketing. So a guy like you that really hasn't been sharing a lot publicly, um, this is gonna be an interesting conversation. So I'm super pumped. And on that note, I, I kind of wanna, uh, what I love to do in the beginning of the show is I just wanna start with the beginning for you. Like where did this genesis of interest in marketing start for you? Was it a brand? Was it a book? Was it a, a leader? What was it that, you know, back in the day where you were like, okay, I see a path in marketing and I'm going down that path. Where did it start for Rashad Drakeford? Man, that's a great question. The funny thing is I never saw my, I, I, this was never on the path. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that when I was in high school, I was um, going home from the train one day. It was my junior year at, at Forest Hills High School in Queens, New York. By the way, Jeremy, I will mention Queens a number of times this podcast. That's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. I love Queens. Love, love being from Queens. But yeah, I, I, was, I was going home and um, there was a magazine, a Black Enterprise magazine with two executives spinning basketballs on their hands. And it said co-executives of the year. I'm like, who are these Black guys in suits spinning basketballs on their hands that are executives? I just, it was very, a very like foreign thing to see, you know? And I, I, so I bought the magazine and it was um, Tudima Ushery, who at the time was president of the Dallas Mavericks and Steve Mills, who at the time was the SVP of business operations for Madison Square Garden Company. And I read that magazine, Jeremy, probably like a hundred times. I highlighted it uh, like, you know, I'm on AOL, just aging myself. I was on AOL <laughs> looking, looking them up, <laughs> trying to find their contact information. I found it. Wow. And so I emailed both of them. And I said, hey, my name is Rashad Drakeford. I'm a junior at Forest Hills High School. And your stories really inspired me. And I want to become the first Black commissioner of the NBA. What advice do you have for me? Yes, <laughs> yes. And um, Steve Mills, unfortunately, never responded. But Tradima Ushri did. And um, he became like kind of like this like email pen pal for, for years. And we kept in touch for a long time. Wow. And, you know, I went to, I went to Hampton. Uh, and my goal was because looking at, all the commissioners of sports, they all had law degrees. So I went to Hampton. I was like, all right, I'm a major in political science. I'm going to go to law school. Then I'm going to work at Proskauer Rose, which at the time was the NBA's outside counsel. And then I was going to go in-house and become the general counsel of the NBA and then become the commissioner. I, like, I had a whole plan. <laughs> I had a whole plan. And then um, I was um, dating a young lady. Every great story starts with that, right? Uh, yep, absolutely. <laughs> I was great. I was dating, a, you know, I was talking to a very incredible young lady who at the time was going to Harvard. And um, she was um, changing dorms for the year. And I was go going up to hang out with her. And she's like, you know, this, uh, you know, guy named Barack Obama is running for president. And, you know, he's a Harvard alum. So they're having buses go up to hear him speak in Manchester, um, New Hampshire. Do you want to go? I'm like, yeah, I heard the guy. Mine just April 2007 to, to give, you know, context and framing to this. And so I'm like, yeah, I want to go. Here. I'll go hear him speak. And um, I mean, you know, again, I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm at Hampton in college for political science to you know, go to law school. And, um, you know, uh, I hear Barack Obama comes out, I hear him speak. And I was like, like most people, I was like just blown away, like in the moment. And I just said to a random guy next to me, I'm like, man, I think this guy could really become president. I think he could win. And the guy was like, you really think so? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, my name's Hans Reamer. I'm the national youth vote director of the campaign. Do you want to join the campaign? I'm like, yeah. Wow. Wow. I do. And so... You know, a month goes by and then I, I joined the campaign as um, HBCU outreach coordinator for students for Barack Obama, which was the youth vote arm of the Obama campaign. And I do that. Obama wins. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, during your winter break, do you want to come work on the on the uh, presidential transition team? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I wind up doing that and working for Valerie Jarrett and Michael Stratman is doing, um, you know, um, uh, public outreach. Wow. And then I graduated from college in May of 2000, 2009 and joined the administration shortly thereafter in September. And I worked on the BP oil spill and recovery act and, mm. you know, climate change summits. And it was really an incredible experience, but, you know, but going back to my original point, like I always knew I wanted to work in sports entertainment, particularly I wanted to go to law school and become a lawyer to become the commissioner. But the, the real, like, you know, kind of, nugget of it all was I wanted to work in sports and entertainment. And my father, you know, he got ill um, and needed a kidney transplant. So I moved back to New York. I gave my father a kidney. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then um, during that time, I reached back out to Dima Ushery. And I said, Dima, you know, I'm moving back to New York. And, you know, as you know, my dream was always to work in sports and entertainment. I would love to work, you know, for the New York Knicks. I would love to work at Madison Square Garden Company. 
And he's well, he's like, well, let me talk to some people and circle back. I didn't hear back for two weeks. And like, you know, it's like one of those things as a young person, like you're like, I don't want to be annoying, but like, I kind of want to get an answer. I want to follow up. And um, I'll never forget. It was like seven o'clock in the morning on a random or random weekday. And Scott O'Neill, the president of MSG Sports, reaches out to me and says, hey, Tadima says you're a star. What are you looking to do? Wow. Now, mind you, I have a political science degree. I'm not the lawyer that I wanted to be, right? <laughs> but And so I just go on. And Scott, I hope Scott hears this because this would probably be pretty hilarious for him. Um, but I went on um, the Knicks.com and looked at the team directory. And it's broken down into divisions. It's like, you know, ticket sales. I'm like, I don't want to do ticket sales. Um, the other one was like legal. I'm like, well, I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to do that. Um, there was like hospitality. I'm like, I don't want to do hospitality. And then I see this thing. It said marketing partnerships. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. So I go and then I look up Scott O'Neill's biography. And he got his start in marketing partnerships. So I'm like, I reached back. So I emailed him back. I'm like, hey, you know, I want to go and um, I want to work in marketing partnerships. He's like, oh, man, like your timing couldn't have been better. We're going through a reorganized organization. I think it'll be some openings, wow. you know, happening in that group. And I'll connect you with the EVP of the group. Now, mind you, I swear, Jeremy, I didn't, I had no idea what marketing partnerships were. I had no concept of it whatsoever. So I'm going through the interview process and I'm like kind of catching nuggets about what the job actually entails. Wow. But by the time I actually understood what it was, I did feel like my experience did have some connective tissue to what I wanted to ultimately do. And I remember interviewing at Madison Square Garden and, um, you know, one of the interviews like, I don't understand. You have no sports experience. Like, how does your political you know, experience like translate to this world? And I said, well, if you could sell an, a man named Barack Obama in a state that used to be the Confederate capital of the country, you could sell the New York Knicks. Wow. And my point really was that the fundamentals are the same, right? You have a vision and the message that you're trying to convey. So people convert into supporters and become advocates on your behalf, right? Yep. That's what we call word of mouth marketing, right? Mm -hmm. You tell stories that resonate with people, that resonate with people, right? You want to inspire them to think, to feel, to act. That's content marketing. Um, you're looking at data and analytics to develop audience segmentation and um, you know, call to action messaging. You're building bespoke strategies to target specific demos and regions of behaviors to like to get voters to come to your side to to support your your initiatives and support your policies. That's performance marketing. And so at its core, a good political campaign, a good politician is really a well-oiled marketing machine. And one of the things I loved, I think, about being in the Obama administration is that every single day we were really focused on how can we help people? How can we leave a positive impact on people's lives? And, you know, I think companies should really approach their mission and their goals the same way. Like, how are you, like, the product that you're creating, the, the message that you're delivering, um, the platform you're, you're, you're developing, how is it actually improving people's daily lives? Like, how are you being additive to their human experience? And um, I think, um, you know, I tried my best to convey that during that interview process, and I got the job. And so, wow. and then that's how I got into sports entertainment marketing. So, yeah, long, long way to get to your answer, but yeah. That's amazing. Well, I'm curious, you know, well, okay, now I get it. I get a, I get an idea of why you haven't done much podcasting because you've just been living a magical life. I mean, <laughs> you're just the, you're the guy that just shows up at a place and happens to be sitting next to another guy who opens a door, you know, and it's just, it's a fascinating story. I'm curious though, you know, cause you, you do something that I often do, which is if I want to reach, if I want to connect with someone, regardless of where they are high, quote unquote, high up they are, or I just reach out directly, you know, and I, and, and, and a lot of times they respond. It's like, and a lot of people just never think, can I actually just message that person? And then, yeah, you can. So I'm curious for you, who encouraged you to, to do it? Like, was it, who was the champion where you're like, Rashad, you can do anything you want to do. Cause clearly somebody was telling you this cause you started living that way. And it seems like it's a part of your, it's part of your value system. Like if you want to do something, you're going to, you're going to take that step forward. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. Was that, your, was that your parents? Was that your grandparents? Like I was going to say, my parents would probably, Jeremy, one day we'll, we'll have like a, a cookout. You, you can definitely come, come and hang out. Yes, count me in, count me in. <laughs> because my parents will tell you, I was just a weird kid. I don't know. You know, like, because like, you know, I've, asked, I've been asked that before. I'm like, my parents, like, I will say, to give my parents a lot of credit, I mean, growing up, I was exposed to a lot of great things that made me understand like what was possible, right? So like my mom, um, worked at uh, Citibank as she was a secretary in the in their like you know HR department, but like you see like you know 
like the guys in the corner offices and, you know, you're seeing how they're moving. Like, and then my father works, you know, he's been at ABC now for 45 years. And so I would go and sit in the control room while, you know, he was a camera engineer, cameraman wow. for all my children, the ABC sports and the view. And now he's at good morning America. And like, I was sitting in, in the, uh, you know, control room while he was, um, you know, working and you're seeing like directors and executive producers. And so my mind was always like, you know, I had, a, I think a natural soulful curiosity about myself and I, you know, and my parents had encyclopedias in, uh, encyclopedias in the house. And so like, I think I just had like a natural, like, you know, um, I had like an imagination of what was possible, but I think it was, you know, instilled in me by my parents because of like just the spaces in which I, in which they occupied and put me in. I love it. But I, I really can't point to the thing, but like, but my, but the, the truth is like, my, my thinking was like the worst that someone ever could say is no or not respond. Right. Like Scott, Scott Mills never responded. Uh, so excuse me, Steve Mills, Steve Mills never yeah. responded, you know, and Steve and I met Steve. He's a phenomenal guy. Great person. You know, he never responded. Like I didn't die. Nothing happened to me, you know? And it's like, you know, the worst thing that could happen is that, but more often than not, when I reached out to people, whether it was like Howard Gantz at Proscott Rose, he had me come to the office. Like, you know, when I emailed them, you know, um, and um, Dave, Dave Howard at, at New York Mets, like just had me come by and like, you know, so I, I, I think that, you know, I just was like, well, I'm just gonna reach out to these people and just tell my story. And, um, you know, and, you know, and we'll see where the chips, chips will, you know, yeah. will lay. but like, you know, there's an the old adage in hip hop, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. Mm. And I think it's just like, you know, kind of living by that mantra. That's amazing. So, so after Madison Square Garden Entertainment, you had a, you had a couple of years there. You then went over to Revolt Media, right? And so you spent some time. What's some of the things that you kind of began to do at Revolt, and then what are some takeaways that really helped prep you for now being, you know, head of content marketing at Robinhood? I tell people this all the time. I think Revolt was one of the most important experiences of my life, and um, you know, I know Revolt hasn't turned into I think like this behemoth, you know, TV network. But one of the things that, you know, um, I got to give credit to Puff and Andre Harrell, who, you know, passed away, but got, you know, rest in peace, Andre. But one of the things that I think they did really well is they hired phenomenal people. And you look at the people that they hired at Revolt and where they're, where they are now, whether it's like Tuma Bass or Chloe Williams or Bessadonna, uh, Julian Mitchell is like a phenomenal writer now. I mean, there's so much talent that came through those doors that a lot of people got their first shot um, at that place at a really visible level. And, and so I, I really, um, you know, I learned there, like hire great people. That's awesome. And then, so you really, was that really the first kind of leadership role for you kind of get, you were director there. So now you're, you're transitioning from kind of individual contributor. You've learned some, you've had some chops, you've had some awesome experience. You've had to translate that experience and that you're at revolt and now you're into leadership. What's that intersection like? Sure. Yeah. I, I was going to say also, it was, you know, definitely my first time leading people, albeit it was like two people, but, but I, I do think that it was my, it was like really grind, you know, cutting my teeth in like, you know, it's not just about what I'm bringing to the table, but like, how are you also making people better? And the great thing about being at Revolt also, I would say is that because we were a smaller media network, we really were able to take a lot of chances and try new things. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, the way we leaned into our ability to create branded content you know, across social and digital. And, and like, you know, we were doing like virtual reality concerts, which like, you know, uh, we were white labeling content. This is back in 2013. That was like ahead of his time. Yeah. Ahead of his time. Yeah. No one was really doing that. But wow. like, a part of our thing was, you know, um, and funny enough, like this idea came from, you know, people like Dave Shirley, who was a coordinator, you know, within our, our department. It was like, well, like, you know, if MTV is going out here and like they're able to kind of create interstitials and and create vignettes that live on that live on um, linear TV because they have you know eighty to hundred million you know households. Like, what's our value prop? And I think what we landed on was we have phenomenal storytellers. We have great content creators. We're going to go and create content for brands that we'll use across all of our social, all of our digital, and linear. And on top of that, we'll like white label it and give it to you to use however you want across your channels. And so. We were able to, I think, really, you know, be innovative in that in that space. And also, I think a little bit ahead of our times as well, like we were able to, I think, bring brands into like the edges of culture 
by making them participants in culture and not just sponsors of it. Mm. Right. Like you're not just throwing your name on something. It's like, we're actually going to help you tell like really phenomenal stories. We're going to help you um, actually break artists with us. We're going to, you know, have live experiences that, that, you know, that people get immersed in at Art Basel and South by Southwest and, um, and Coachella and other events. And so I think that uh, we did a really great job of that. Um, and then I think that's where I also learned that the best branded content is when your brand is not the story, but the character within the story. Mm. And I think that's how we're approaching it at Robinhood. Um, but, but, you know, going back to your, your, your point about leadership, a lot of the cool things that we did, the innovative um, changes we took were because, you know, um, you had interns and coordinators that were given space to come up with ideas and they weren't shouted down by, by, you know, by leadership. I think leadership, you know, I think what they say, like, I think the, um, the best thing to knowing what you, what you know is knowing what you don't know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and surrounding yourself with people that are really tapped in and can fill those spaces for you. That's awesome. So then you, so let's talk about Apple and then I want to talk about Robinhood because you had some, sure. after you left Revolt, you joined Apple, you got into uh, head of global social media. You did some stuff with Beats by Dre while you were there. Talk about your experience, some of the things you did. Maybe there's some takeaways at your experience at your, you know, four years plus there at Apple. Yeah. 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 So I was on a Beats by Dre business and, um, you know, it was a, uh, a incredible experience. I mean, I came in post, post um, acquisition. So when Apple, you know, acquired, um, Beats. And I think what I enjoyed the most there was, so I, you know, I worked at Master Square Garden, a fairly, really corporate uh, environment (laughs) doing like, you know, marketing partnerships with, you know, sponsors and advertisers. Then I went to like, basically I went to a startup, you know, that was really, you know, at uh, the intersection of like content and culture and and music. And then I went to Beats by Dre, which, you know, yes, it's a culture brand, but like also within, you know, the biggest, like, you know, one of the most revered and biggest companies in the world. And like the brand was going through this transition of, you know, um, who we are, you know, not just at, at Beast, as Beast by Dre, but how, like who is Beast by Dre within the Apple ecosystem. And so it was a, it was a great opportunity to try new things. Um, so I helped, you know, I launched the um, um, Beast by Dre's first um, digital content platform called Stories, which lived on .com and, and, and was amplified across different platforms. And, um, the idea there was we wanted to create something again, going back to like being additive, like, you know, like the goal wasn't to be, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you know, it wasn't the goal to be the complex. I wanted to be fader. And what, and what I mean by that is, you know, you know, complex does a lot of great work, you know, and um, amazing work. Um, But they're really big and they cover a lot of stuff. It's like, you know, it's kind of like a fire hose. Right. But if you talk to an artist, there's nothing like when the artist got the fader cover, that meant something. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like, man, I'm on the cover of Fader. And Fader's social was small. You know, their engagement wasn't that high, but there's something about having the thought leaders and tastemakers and culture co-sign who you are and tell your story that made that moment really significant. And I wanted stories to be that place. Beast, here's Beast by Dre, the, the brand that has, you know, been defined and stood up for artists and athletes in so many different ways and created an entire category, if we're being honest. Right. You know, um, whose founders were incredibly creative and, and had a an entrepreneurial spirit that um, is unmatched. And I, like, I had lunch with Jimmy Iovine last week and it was like just like, you know, just sing with him. Like, you're like, man, like this guy just like just just what an incredible spirit and energy that he has. And so like when like how can we develop a platform where we can, you know, tell the stories of people that are kind of, you know, that have that same DNA. And we did some really great work and we told some phenomenal stories and. Um, I think we're able to add a uh, a filter that from an always on content perspective that I think, you know, served as great compliment, great compliments to like our brand campaign work. And then, you know, I took over the social team, I joined the social team, I should say, right after um, Ahmad, right before Ahmad Arbery happened last year. And um, it was interesting because like, you know, I was in this role of like global editorial where I was like overseeing, you know, emerging influencer, influencers and, and working, you know, with, um, you know, again, creating the digital content platform and then moving into the social role when, when you know, Ahmaud Arbery happened and George Floyd happened, I think that the brand uh, had to decide who we wanted to be. And um, I give so much credit to um, Chris Thorne, who um, is a CMO there, to give him like a lot of credit that when um, those moments happened, you know, he reached out to a lot of the Black employees and asked us like, like how should the brand show up? And he met with all of us like weekly. Wow. And, um, you know, 
And he really like allowed us to lead. Um, so the work you saw with us, you know, supporting Colin Kaepernick and signing Colin Kaepernick, that that was done through that moment. Um, signing Bubba Wallace was done in that moment. Um, the Do You Love Me um, piece that um, that won a ton of awards, the, the great piece that was done by Beats and Translation, like that was born out of that moment. And, um, you know, being on the social team during that time and, you know, moving the brand, I think, you know, to to who we were at our core. Um, we felt really special because, you know, le- you know, the years leading up to that, I think we were, you know, stretching as a, as a, as a company um, to try to find, you know, new spaces, right? So you had Bose that was going after like, you know, the professional that was traveling to London and Berlin daily, right? Like we were trying to find those, those new places and stretching, you know, beyond, I think, you know, the urban and, and, um, and black consumer. And we had some successes there, but at the end of the day, like we were beat by Dre, and I think it allowed us in this moment, in this new moment to go back to like who we were. And that to me is not uh, an exclusive thing. I think it's an inclusive thing, right? I think, you know, black culture and, and black music and black, black art is general market. It is pop culture. Yep. Yep. And I think that, you know, from what I've, you know, what I've seen, the brand has done phenomenal, has done incredibly well, you know, by being, I think, authentic to its, to its core mission. And I think um, being a part of that, that pivot um, was just such a phenomenal experience. And like, I, you know, I, I just want to shout out people like Amina Charles and, and Buku who were there that did some just phenomenal work um, to get the brand to where it is. That's awesome. And so it's clear stepping into a space like Apple, you, you step into this almost unlimited support and creativity where you can really, you know, depending on where you're at, you can really fly, you know, and you've got the opportunity to, to make moves and influence marketing. And so that, that's beautiful. And you're going to work with some brilliant people, you know, clearly like the people that have been around you in your personal ecosystem as you've navigated your career have been a big part of your growth and development. It's, it's cool. So that's awesome. And so from the outside looking in, what was Robinhood about? Why Robinhood? And I'm just curious, what, what did you see there? And then tell us about what you're up to now. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, what I saw there was um, I saw like an incredible opportunity growing up in Queens Third reference. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but growing up in Queens, you know, I think black folks in general don't talk a lot about money. And, you know, I was always told like, hey, you, you know, go get a job, get your 401k. You know, you stay mm-hmm. there for as long as you can. Yeah. You retire and you live in, you know, you go off to the sunset. And, um, you know, I remember going to Apple and like, they're like, yeah, you know, here's your equity package. Here's, you know, here's your, your, your cliff. Here's your ESPP. Then I started talking to other corporates like, yeah, you know, my, you know, talking about ETFs. I'm like, I have no idea what any of them are talking about whatsoever. I'm sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going back and Googling, like, you know, trying to understand what they're talking about. And what really inspired me about Robinhood was I was on vacation with a few of my friends. And they, these are guys, you know, I grew up with. And they're like, yeah, you know, there's reading, one of them was reading the New York Times and talking about, how he's like, you know, going to start inv- investing in Tesla because of a supply chain, uh, a supply chain issue that he sees. And I'm just like, like this, this is a guy that you would never, ever, ever would think would be having this type of conversation. And Robin really did, I think, lower the barrier of entry and democratize information and democratize people being able to participate in the wealth generation process, especially, I think, for folks that have been historically and systematically left out of financial empowerment you know, um, in this country. And so I, I felt like there was an incredible opportunity to, uh, to come here and to help tell stories and help, you know, um, inspire people to get involved in, in taking like their financial health and wellness into their own hands. And I think like that, that was just an incredible, incredible opportunity to me that I just, I just wanted to tackle. Wow. And then also, I think, you know, coming over, you know, as you talk about like, you know, growing in your career, if we're, you know, I know like a lot of marketers are listening to this, but I think growing in your career, sometimes you have to, you have to leave the big ship, you know, you have to leave the big ship and take a chance and, um, you know, the opportunity to lead a team and to like, you know, be the one helping set strategy, be the one helping, you know, um, develop messaging and, and direction um, versus like kind of like getting the information and then, you know, having to tactically execute but, th- but being a part of that first process, I think, 
was something that was really attractive to me. Hmm. So what informs your kind of content marketing strategy at Robinhood? Like what are some of the pieces that you kind of have on your canvas, if you will, and, and where are you playing? Yeah, I'll zoom out a little bit on that too. Um, because I think the best content is content that, they, that makes you feel something. You know, it makes you, going back to what I said earlier, it makes you think, feel, and act, right? And I think content creators and content marketers have a unique opportunity to help human beings like recognize like their full potential, right? Like we love Nike because they aren't just selling you apparel. They are amplifying an inspiring way of life because they believe that we're all athletes, right? Uh, we love Apple because they aren't just selling you a MacBook Pro, but they're inspiring you um, to be a creative being. And uh, I think the best brands are able to position their products as a like, as a conduit to like living a better life, right? We love we love Spike Jones, we love Peter Jackson, we love Ryan Coogler because they don't just make films, but they immerse you into their stories, into their worlds, and that has to be the constant inspiration for us that are in the content marketing space. And so, when I think about what we're developing at Robin over the next year, over the next two years, next year, three years, is like how do we inspire people to think, feel, and act? How do we you know make them feel confident about their financial future? How do we um, tell stories of, of people that um, that they say they see themselves in, right? One of the things that we saw during the pandemic is that um, with, with this exploded retail investors is that black folks, brown folks, and women are making up the majority of this new of this new class. So it's not your old, you know, finance finance bro. You know, there's a new class that's, that's being you know born out of this moment. And like, how do we invite them in? How do we come? How do we have our arms? wide open to let them know that they're not alone. And to me, the best marketers, they're able to position their brand as a friend. And what I always tell people is that when you think about your content cadences, you know, I hope I'm answering your question in like kind of a roundabout way. <laughs> but it says, yes, 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 yes. When you think about content cadence, you know, I think there's, there's like this, um, you know, I think this knee jerk reaction that we have to be, when they say always on, like it must mean we're posting every single day. We must be telling people what we're doing every single moment. And the example I always tell people is like, do you like, how do you feel when um, there's, we all have friends or acquaintances in our lives because they just want something. <laughs> yes. And we also have the friend that we know that when they go to, when they come to brunch or dinner, that they're just going to monopolize the conversation and no one else is going to be able to speak. No one wants to be that friend. Right. So why do you think as a brand, you would take that same approach? The only time you, uh, someone hears from the brand is if you're trying to sell me something, if you're trying to ask me for my money. And then every time I go on your social media or your digital uh, platforms, you're always just trying, you're just telling me about what you're doing, what you have going on, what great news that you have. What about me? This is a one-way relationship. No one wants to be that person. You want to be the friend that like is reaching out to say, hey, I hope you're okay. Hey, I saw this article. I saw this podcast. I think you would like that. You know, you want to be that person. And then occasionally I may ask you for something, mm -hmm. but that's not the default position every time I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I think a lot of marketers can get content marketing wrong. And so when we're thinking about our content strategy and point of view at, at Robinhood, it's really about that. And like building trust and, you know, and transparency with our, you know, with our customers and potential customers and industry stakeholders. And I think we have a special opportunity to do that. I love, I love, it's like, you're, you're really preaching about like, Hey, let's not, let's not forget who we're speaking to and what's most important to them. And so how can we really just be like a valuable friend of like, Hey, when I'm calling, Oh wait, Jeremy's calling. I know he's got some good stuff to share. I'm going to actually, so it seems like that's really informing your approach about what you're putting out there. What does that cadence look like though, at a high level? Cause you, cause I know you're not, you know, hey, by Robinhood, by Robinhood, you're sharing value, you're you're building relationship, you're trying to engage with the audience. So since you're adding a lot of value in that cadence of communication, how often are you doing that? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, there are things that we do. I think, you know, even when we talk about new products, it's always through the lens of like, how is how is this benefiting you? So when we talk about 24-7 phone support, like, it's not like, hey, we have phone support, we have phone support. We have, it's like, hey, we're here for you 24 seven to help you. We're here. Like, again, we're the friend that you could call in an emergency and we're going to pick up, you know, we're here for you and we're making this easy for you to be able to get to the right person. So we're actually having a filters within the, within the, um, the UX 
that allows you to, to get to like the right person and not have it to be transferred around. So your experience is, is easy. I'm curious, where do, where do marketing leaders or just marketing content leaders go wrong with content marketing? They forget to be human, which is like, you know, I think what we're, you know, right. That's kind of what we're talking about. Like, I, th- I think as marketers, like we're living and breathing our brands. And sometimes I, we just begin to talk to ourselves. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, like, never forget how you consume content. Never forget like what resonates with your kids, how you and how you enjoy when what you enjoy when you watch a movie. Um, the feeling you get in your gut when you see like really inspirational art. Never forget those feelings. Never forget to be human. I think the other friction I see is that marketers just hire other marketers. I think the companies that will win over the next 10 years, they will bring in journalists, they'll bring in filmmakers, they'll bring in visual artists into their marketing divisions. Um, because we know the content that resonates with people. So why not bring those people in-house to help your, your brand deliver their best work, right? And I think something I said earlier, I think a lot of marketers and content marketers specifically where they go wrong also, I think is that they don't stay soulfully curious. Like it's okay not to know everything as long as you are on a constant quest to explore the world around you. Like, and I, you know, like I take up, I took up photography and it's been a phenomenal outlet for me. Like I do film photography, 35 millimeter mostly. And it's phenomenal because it's like, you need a creative outlet that allows you to, to like, to touch and feel society, right? It allows you like to have a, a different vantage point outside of like what you're just doing as a, as a, you know, in your day job, like what are those other creative touch points that you have just in your life and how you move through society. And that's why I love going to New York a lot. You know, I live in Los Angeles now, but I love going to New York and just walking around. Like, especially when I was at beats, it was great because like you get to see like what people like they're like, what, you know, what headphones they're wearing, how they're using the headphones when they pull it down, when they when like, you know, are you seeing more, you know, people in ear or over ear, you're kind of able to see that, but you're just seeing how people move through life. And like, it's such, it's a, there's something inspirational about that. And I think like the point I'm trying to make, I think is like marketing is like a Da Vinci meld of like art and science, you know? And I think, you know, a lot of marketers have the science part down pretty, pretty well, but like the art side. Yes. It, there, there is a very fine line. Yes. I'm hearing that uh, from a lot of marketing leaders that, to be a modern marketing leader, you really have to have that right brain, left brain. And the ones yeah. that are going to win long-term, they've, like you said, they've, they've got the science, but they also have the art and they've got that balance. And there's also a lot of them that are kind of, they're, they're phasing out because they don't have that ability. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's an interesting intersection. And I think to your point, great storytelling, you know, it's going to, it's going to win. And so why not, why not be the brand that tells great stories? Right. Why not be the brand that really, yeah, informs your customers and your audience and your fans, right, in a way that's really entertaining and educating and all those things. How do you view kind of influencer collaborations at Robinhood? Yeah, um, I, I do. I will say, I hope that one day we retire the word influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I understand because like it's an easy catch all. It is. You know, it is. But like you know, it's funny because like I'm having a conversation with a few, you know, artists and and and, and folks and and um, you know. I try to catch myself because I'm like, man, I don't want to cheapen like, you know, the dedication to, uh, that they've kind of like put towards like mastering, you know, a skill or a talent that really like kind of impacts our world in, in like real ways. So like, but I, I, but I think, you know, to answer your question, uh, the way we're, I, you know, I have the team approaching is really like avoiding one-offs and developing a grill partnerships with talent that not only push, you know, forward our business goals, but also helps the talent reach their, their goals. And, you know, I never walk into, Jeremy, I never walk into a, um, a partnership conversation with a fully flushed out plan. You know, I'm always asking, like, what are they looking to accomplish? And, like, how do they think Robinhood can help them accomplish that thing? And then I'm also asking, you know, like, almost, I guess, not asking, but more making sure that our missions are aligned. Because I want to make sure, like, this is not just about, you know, someone cashing a check. But, like, you know, we're both invested and passionate about what we can do together. And then also I'd say, I don't let social media uh, followings, like, you know, like how many followers someone has determine, be like the determining factor on doing a deal or not. Like, yes, numbers you see on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter are important, but like, um, what's the engagement and what's the conversion metric from past partnerships or even their own work? Because I'd rather work with someone who has 100,000 followers that, you know, is incredible talent and, um, you know, is really making an impact on society and has great engagement than someone that has a million followers. 
um, that may not, you know, have, you know, some of those other attributes. So I think, you know, being very uh, intentional about who you're partnering with in moving beyond kind of like the surface level numbers or, or like who's just hot in the moment, but like making sure that this person is like really aligned um, to your values, really aligned to your mission. And that like the collaboration is really additive to both parties. I love that. How is innovation informing your content marketing there at Robinhood, whether it be AI or technology or sorts of things like that? What are some of the things you're you're looking at, some of the things you're actively doing that are really kind of pushing the envelope in terms of content marketing? We're not doing, well, we haven't, <laughs> uh, the AI thing is interesting. I, I know um, it's something I think we, we've been uh, exploring on certain parts of the marketing uh, funnel and org. Um, I think for for us, what we have coming down the pipeline, you know, so maybe I could come back and talk about it once we're, we're launching, I think is very different from what you see in the space from our, from our competitors. I, I can say that. Mm. I feel very, very confident about the community that we're going to, that we're building, the human connection that we're, that we're prioritizing. I feel really good about, about how we're like kind of positioning ourselves in, in that, in that respect. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I think, I think we're, we're, we're innovative in how we're, and how we are going to show up mm. versus like, you know, maybe, maybe different, like, you know, um, tools. I think it's like the how, mm. the how we show up is going to be very, very different. Mm. Okay. What's keeping you going now, you know, these days, what outcomes are you like when these things happen, when these points are on the board where you're like, okay, well, I, I can, I, I've achieved this at Robin Hood. Are there some kind of things that you're, that you've got your eyes set on in terms of just results that you want to have generated or be a part of contributing when it comes to that brand? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, I think like for most content marketers or marketers in general, right? Like, you know, you want to, you want to, um, you know, impact brand, you know, brand equity you and positive sentiment, you know, for us, you know, uh, trust and transparency and reliability. We want to help, you know, drive drive our uh, our numbers around around those metrics. And so, um, that's kind of like our focus is like, how are we driving, you know, user consideration? How are we driving growth? How are we driving engagement? How are we impacting conversion? Um, and then, you know, sentiment, of course. So I think like, you know, I think we're looking at all those different uh, those different benchmarks. Looking at you know, 2020, 2021, as we're going to twenty twenty two. Hmm. How are we actually uh, measuring up against you know the, the past and and based and based off like you know and where we want to go? I think those are kind of the things that we're looking at, you know, more than anything else. And so constantly going back to like those those OKRs and saying, okay, how are we reaching these? Like, what's our plan to get there? You know, and how are we measuring that? So, um, we're, funny enough, I'm I'm here in um, in Menlo Park because we're actually you know having our offsite to kind of like drill in more concretely around what we're um, what we're doing. Nice. Awesome. That's cool. So, um, Rashad, what marketers or leaders in your life have influenced and informed your leadership style? Man, you know, um, I have, I've honestly been blessed beyond measure because I've had the honor of working with some of the best leaders in the game. And, um, you know, I think about like Jason White, the former CMO of Beats by Dre, like he literally changed my life. And, he saw something special in me that honestly I didn't fully see in myself. And he gave me a shot and hired me at beach by Dre. And like, I'm forever grateful to him. And um, one of the things he taught me while in that role was, um, was like how to harness my ideas and strategically frame them, frame them and align them to business goals. I think I came in because I was coming from, from revolt and it was like, we should just do this. <laughs> we should just create that. And he's like, well, how's it actually align and drive business. Right. And so it's like, you know, it's great to have cool ideas, but like how are you actually, um, you know, impacting, um, you know, our quarterly results. And so I think having the, the experience of like, you know, having, you know, great content and cultural marketing ideas is one thing, but being able to figure out how to leverage them to drive business is another. And I think that he, he really helped me harness like that art and science that we talked about earlier. And then I would say, um, you know, Scott O'Neill, uh, he's the first leader, like I ever actually wanted to like run through a physical wall for. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, He's one of the most inspiring people I ever met. And like, you know, um, he instilled to me that like no person or job is too small and uh, you treat everyone the same. Um, and, you know, you have the same level of respect for them. You listen to ideas from all corners and levels and you also incentivize your team to have excellence. And like, those are some of the things that I think I took to revolt and took the beats and now I have a Robin Hood. And, you know, and I think like building culture of excellence is a really tough thing to do. But like, if it starts at the top, 
is really possible. And like people will then I think meet the moment, like really talented people will meet the moment. And, um, you know, the last two people I'd, I'd say is probably, you know, Omar Johnson and Andre Harrell, you know, Omar, because like, you know, he's from Brooklyn, I'm from Queens and uh, we had a lot in common. And when I looked at him, I was like, man, like I, he made marketing, becoming a marketing leader feel like attainable. And we both have like instinctual confidence that I think guides us. And I think like seeing him in his space, like really was helpful for, for me. And I think, you know, Andre, again, I think I would say around trusting instincts, like Andre was really great at that. Um, but he also was able to eye talent, not just from a musical lens or, you know, entertainment lens, but like in a corporate environment, in, in an office environment. Um, he would see people like myself and Sharice McKenzie and, and L. Houston and say like, you know, I see, I see you guys. And, you know, I'm going to bring you under the wings. I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm going to, you know, speak your name positively in circles. I'm going to ask you questions in, you know, in meetings in front of executives to give you a chance to shine. I'm going to give advice and take you to dinner to, you know, give my perspectives on different things. And like Andre was, you know, who was, you know, was a legend uh, for him to take that time was so special um, and really like impacted like how I kind of approach mentoring, um, the, you know, the next generation of, of, of marketers coming behind me. I love it. What was Andre's last name again? Andre Harrell. Harrell. Okay, cool. Where's Andre at now? Uh, he passed away. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he passed away uh, last year, unfortunately. Okay. Wow. Man, some exceptional just people that have been, you know, in your life and are still with you uh, today. And that's just incredible, man. It's just, it really is a testament to, you know, this idea that's very real and alive, certainly by talking to you. And that is, you know, that, you know, having someone tell you, Hey, I want to help and support you. And I want to be a part of your growth. And I mean, it's just, it's something that never gets old. It's amazing to see the investment some of these people have made in you. And there's no doubt that you're, you know, reverse mentoring and doing the same thing for other people, but it's, it's beautiful. It's really cool. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Uh, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Okay, Rashad Drakeford, first question. This one's a simple one. What is your favorite feature about the Robinhood app experience? For sure, I would say that IPO access. Okay. I think it's one thing when, you know, you can go on the app and, you know, be able to trade stocks and, and crypto. But it's another thing when you're able to actually get in, at, you know, within the company before it actually goes public. Companies that you believe in or companies that you think that they um, have the ability to do something special. I think like that is an incredible opportunity. When we, when we talk about democratizing finance, being able to and you know invest in a company pre-IPO, I think is the absolute manifestation of that of our mission. For me, the IPO, the IPO alert. I mean, I don't I don't get many alerts on my phone. I have to shut most, but I like the IPO alerts. I like I like diving into companies that are kind of up up and coming. And so that's a cool one. Do you have a favorite book? Yeah, my favorite book I would say is the hard thing about the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz. I read it a while ago and it's something I reference and go back to pretty often. Um, you know, and, and for those that may not have read it, it's really a management book. And, but I think what Ben does a really great job in that book is like, he's able to use like real life experiences and like really kind of like then frame it and position it from a, from a managerial lesson or, or uh, a learning that I, thought, I think, I think that's pretty, it's pretty, pretty impactful. Okay. I love it. Best advice for a first-time content marketing leader? Be human, be bold. I love that. I feel like that could be that would be that would be Rashad Drakeford's billboard across the country. Be human, be bold, Rashad Drakeford. I'm just <laughs> gonna call it out. Love that. So I gotta ask in closing, Rashad, uh, what are a couple of your favorite podcasts? Well, as you know, Jeremy, number one, my number one favorite podcast is absolutely Robin Hood Stacks, our daily podcast. Um, where we cover the market news and what's happening. And so everyone should absolutely go and, and listen to Robin Hood Snacks. I would also say um, I love um, the Daily New York Times. You know, I think they just do a phenomenal job of like taking, you know, news that that's top of mind and really kind of explaining the, the who, the what, the where, the how, and the why. And then the last one I'd say, you know, is Ben Simmons, his sports podcast. Um <laughs> Uh, I love his hot takes. I love his deep dives into into um, into sports betting as well as like you know um, what's happening with his Patriots in, the, in Boston Celtics. I think he's just a 
a phenomenal personality. And um, it's like one of my, one of my easy like listens um, when I'm flying or driving. I love it. That's awesome. Those are all good. Actually, Robin Hood Snacks, they do a great job on that podcast, Ben. It's like, it's, it's, it's a tidbit. It's, it's entertaining. It's like, it keeps me on. I mean, I can hop in the car, listen to it on the way to the, the studio and it's, it's good, man. It's, they're doing a great job. So let them, please let them know. We'll do, we'll do. Yeah. Um, they've been doing just such a, an incredible job and, you know, you know, we just, we're I'm so proud of like our partnership we did with, with uh, snacks on Snapchat. So bringing, you know, the snacks content, um, you know, to, um, to other platforms where, you know, we announced we're also bringing it in app um, as well. So people in app will be able to experience, uh, you know, the, uh, the snacks work. And so just super exciting feature, you know, when it comes to how do we, again, like, you know, when we think about democratizing finance, yes, it's, you know, great user experience, you know, yes, it's, you know, some of the great products we have in app, but it's also like, how are we explaining really complex issues for people in ways that they can easily digest? Um, and so like the future, I think is, is, is really exciting in that space. I love it. Thank you so much for being here, Rashad. This has been incredible, uh, much more than incredible, man. You know, someone like you with such really cool experience. I'm excited about what you're up to. I remain bullish on Robin Hood and I know that this brand isn't going anywhere. So thanks so much for being here, man. We'll do it again. We're here to stay. Thank you so much, Jeremy. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.